But this evening, I wanted to share with you something because it's during your 40 days of prayer. I, th- I thought, why not I speak to you about prayer itself? And let me introduce my subject uh, this way. I want to read for you some letters of prayer, some letters that were written by Sunday school children to God. And I thought it's so interesting. Let me read some of them uh, for you. Here's one from Jane. She wrote this prayer to God. She said, Dear God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you have? Uh, That's quite good. Larry prayed this. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It worked with my brother. (laughs) Lucy prayed this. Dear God, are you really invisible? Oh, is it just a trick? <laughs> Norma prayed this. Dear God, did you mean for a giraffe to look like that? Or was it an accident? <laughs> uh, Jane prayed. Dear God, what does it mean you are a jealous God? I thought you had everything. Uh, Dala prayed. Dear God, did you really mean do unto others as they do unto you? Because if you did, then I'm going to fix my brother. <laughs> uh, I love this one. Joyce prayed. Dear God, thank you for my baby brother. But what I really prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> And listen to this one. Dear God, I think about you sometimes even when I'm not praying. Oh, how sweet is that? How many of you agree? Children can be so authentic, right? They can be so real. Is that true? And that is why I've entitled my message this evening as Conversations. Because I think this is really what prayer is all about. It is about having a conversation with God. The mystics actually put it this way. Prayer is keeping company with God. And that's what prayer is all about, conversing with God. But how many of you would agree that the more we know a person, the more that we are conversing with, right? The the more we know a person that we are conversing with, the deeper, the more meaningful, the more enjoyable the conversation will become. Is that true? Like, if I know Pastor Chu very well, then when I converse with Pastor Chu, the, the conversation is going to be very meaningful. It's going to be very deep. It's going to be very intimate and relational. But if I don't know Pastor Chu at all, then when I converse with him, it's going to be very superficial. It's going to be just touch and go. It's nothing much. So the deeper you know the person that we are conversing with, the deeper, the more meaningful, the more enjoyable the conversations will become. So therefore, prayer is growing deeper into God and growing deeper into God results in prayer. And therefore, brothers and sisters, one of the secrets to deeper faith-filled prayer is when we learn to pray within the context of who our God is. If we know who our God is, our prayer is going to take on new dimension. Now, how do we actually pray prayers that are in the context of who our God is? The key is this, we must learn to integrate theology with prayer. The knowledge of God and prayer coming together. When we integrate theology and prayer, our prayer is going to take on a new dimension. Now, please do not be intimidated by the word theology. A lot of us are so afraid of the word theology. Say, Pastor, just keep it simple. Don't give us theology. Actually, every single one of us here are theologians. Don't be intimidated by the word theology. The word theology simply means the study of God. Theo, God, logy, study. So what's theology? It's the study of God. 
Guess what you're doing every Sunday, every Saturday when you gather like that and you listen to the Word of God preached by your pastors. What are you doing? You are engaging in theology. You are studying who God is. So every single one of us here, we are theologians. Hey, come on, turn to your neighbor and tell them you are a theologian. Come on, tell them. You are a theologian. We are all seeking to study who our God is. See? And because we know who our God is, our prayer is going to take on new dimensions. We go beyond the mechanics of prayer into the relational aspect of prayer. And this is what it means to converse with God. And this evening, what I'd like to do is to show you an example, because example explain everything. I show you an example of how theology and prayer comes together in the Old Testament. Okay, so I want to invite you now to go with me to a very familiar passage in the Old Testament, and that is 2 Chronicles 20, where we find theology and prayer coming together. So if you have your Bibles, would you go with me now? We go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I read for you from verse 1 to verse 12. Okay, are you with me so far? Okay, stay with me. Huh? We're going to 2 Chronicles 20, reading from verse 1. Listen to this. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazizon Tama, that is Ungerdi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. And then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard. And then he said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? And you give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Amnon, Moab, and Mousia, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt, so they turned away from them and did not destroy them. But see how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Let's bow. We have a word of prayer. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your scripture. I pray that you will speak to us and give us a word for this moment, a word for now. And Lord, may you allow this word to instruct us and to inspire us as we continue these 40 days of prayer and fasting. Lord, help us to bring together our knowledge of God and our prayer so that in the end, we pray prayers that will move heaven and earth. So we commit this time of sharing to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
there was a king by the name of Jehoshaphat, and he was faced with a national crisis. And his response to his crisis has gone down in biblical history as a tremendous model for faith-building prayer. And in 2 Chronicles 20, in verse 1 and 2, it actually described for us what his crisis was. And it says, After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Meunites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat this, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. In other words, the opposition was great. The NIV describes it as a vast army. The King James Version used the term a great multitude. In other words, it was a situation where the problem was too big, but the resources were too little. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Where you feel that your problem is so big, but your resources is so little. And no wonder Jehoshaphat was alarmed. If you would be alarmed too, if you would be in his shoes. So what did the king do? What he did was this. He gathered all his people, young, old, toddlers, old folks, kids, adults, and they all gathered in the new courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord. Now, you need to put yourself in the, in the shoes of the king, right? What are you going to do in a situation like that? There's a multitude coming against you. The security of the land is threatened. Your people are now standing in fear before you, waiting for you as their king, as their leader. Tell us what to do. Should we surrender, hand the city over to the enemies? Is he going to, or should we come up with some military strategy so that we can deal with this crisis? Is the king going to give us a pep talk? Is the king going to encourage us with some words of wisdom? You know, is, is, or is there a military direction or some words of, of wisdom? What is the king going to do? And then the most surprising thing happened. Jehoshaphat gathered the people together from all corners of his nation. And when, he, when they all stood before him waiting for him to speak, all that came out of his mouth was a prayer. Did you notice that? The only thing he said was a prayer. They expected him to say something to them, but instead, he spoke to God. They expected him to address the people, but instead, he addressed the Lord. But why not? Why not? What better thing to do when you're in a crisis, when the problem is too big and the resources are too small? What better thing to do, right, than to talk to God? You know, it's like this story that I, I read once about a Bible college professor who actually wanted to climb a mountain. So what he did was he employed this native guy to take him up there. It was a really windy day. By the time he got up to the peak, right, the wind was so strong, he could literally feel himself almost get blown away. And then as he was struggling in the wind, all of a sudden he felt a tuck on his trousers. And it was actually the guy, you know, and the guy was pulling his trousers and said to him, Professor, on your knees, on your knees, you are only safe when you are on your knees. And I thought, that's true. There is no safer place to be when you're in a crisis than to be in prayer. That's the safest place to be. And this was exactly what King Jehoshaphat did. He got on his knees and he cried out to his God in his time of crisis. But what was most powerful to me was not only he prayed, because anybody can pray, but it was the prayer that he prayed. Because in his prayer, he actually asked God three rhetorical questions that are highly instructive for the kind of prayer that you and I ought to pray 
in any crisis in life, whether we are going through a personal crisis or we are going through a national crisis. And these three rhetorical questions have tremendous theological roots and theological underpinning that I think should guide us in our prayer. And I want to outline them for you. The first rhetorical question he asked was this, Are you not? Are you not the God who is in control? If you look at the first question, it's found in verse 5 and 6 of 2 Chronicles 20. Listen to this. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard. And then he prayed. And this is what he prayed. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? The first question he asked was this. Are you not? You know what the king is doing? He is asking God, are you not the sovereign God who rules over the nations? Are you not the God who holds all power in your hand? Are you not the God who still sits on the throne? Are you not the God who is still in control? And what's the answer? It's a rhetorical question. What's the answer? Of course he is. Of course. He, whatever our situation may be, we must never forget that our God is still in control. Are you not the God who is still seated on the throne? This instructs us that when we are faced with an insurmountable problem, we must never forget the answer is not in ourselves. The answer is in God. And we first need to address the spiritual dimension. In all of our moral, ethical and spiritual crisis, we must return to our inner compass. And then we cry out to our God, are you not the God who is in heaven? And the answer is, of course He is. You see, I've learned over time that in every crisis we go through, there are three dimensions that prevails. Okay? There is the circumstantial, you know, the situation we are in, and then the personal, which is what we are feeling and going through, and then the spiritual, what is really happening behind all of that. And, and I find that a lot of times when you and I get into trouble, our tendency is always to begin with the circumstantial. Is that right? Whenever I'm in trouble, the first thought that comes to my mind is, how do I get out of this situation? How do I get out of this circumstance? How do I extricate myself from this problem? And that's what we all care about. How do I resolve this problem? And that's really what we care about. You know? And as long as we can get out of that trouble, we are happy, and then life goes on. And sometimes we may resolve the problem, we may get out of that situation, we extricate ourselves from that problem, but we remain the same. And because we remain the same, we're just waiting for the next problem to start. Are you with me? You know, you, you, you join a company and you work there, you get unhappy with everything that goes on, upset with your boss, etc. And then you say, I want to quit. And you get out, you change a job, but you're still the same person. You never allow God to actually tell you what's wrong. And then you left, you go to another job, and then you think you're happy. Give you another three months, same problem start. Now you're unhappy again. <laughs> and then you jump to another job and another job. But we get out of the circumstances, but we never really deal with the root of the problem. What's the root of the problem? It's me. I'm the biggest problem. Now, we either treat it circumstantially and all we want to do is get out or we take it personally. We go through the crisis and then the first thing that comes to our mind is, how can they do this to me? It's so unfair, you know? 
do they, do they not know who I am? Don't they know how much I sacrificed to get the, the organization to where it is today? This is so unfair. I'm so upset. It's, I'm upset everybody now. Now we take it personally. Are you with me? We either try to get out of it circumstantially or we get all personal and we get all upset. When actually what we need to do is learn to look at it from the spiritual dimension first. If we truly believe that our God is in control, if our God is in charge, then God allows this to happen. Then God must surely have a purpose. What is God's purpose? It's always to grow us. Instead of saying, how do I get out of this? Or why is this so unfair? First thing we should say is, God, which area of my life are you putting your finger on? What is the area that I need to take responsibility for in this situation? And then we allow God to actually change us, transform us. After we have sorted out the spiritual within our own heart, we expose the scheme of the devil. What is the, what is the devil's scheme? Actually, the devil is quite one-track mind, you know. He only got one idea only. His idea is always John 10, 10, right? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. But what is God's agenda? God also only got one agenda. His agenda is you. His agenda is me. It's my growth, your growth, your transformation. And if we sort that one out with God, then we can go to the personal. What areas do you want me to change? Which area are you putting your finger on? And then we allow God to teach us. Every time we switch our questions from how can this happen to me to what is the Lord teaching me through this, everything changes. Everything changes. And then only then are we ready to deal with the circumstantial. And then we ask God, what is the most efficient way to deal with this situation? Organizationally or structurally. And once we view life through this paradigm of firstly the spiritual then the personal, then the circumstantial, then we are developing a theocentric orientation in life. Everything is centered on God now, not my circumstance. And what better place to start, brothers and sisters at SIV, than in prayer. After all, is He not the God who is sovereign? Is He not the God of love? Is He not the all-wise God? Is He not the God who is good and He will bring His will to pass? I think there's such a need for us to learn how to look up to God in the midst of our crisis, in the midst of our problem. How many of you will say amen to that? So instead of running to man, instead of shooting out emails and talking nonstop on social media, why don't we tune in to our God? And once you get the right view of God, it will give you a steady compass in which you can navigate ourselves in our crisis and in our problems. And this is exactly where King Jehoshaphat started. He re started by recalibrating his own heart back to God. And he prayed, are you not the God who is in heaven? What's the answer? Of course he is. Then he asked a second question. And this is, a, is found in verse 7. And the second rhetorical question he asks is this, did you not? Look at verse 7 now. Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and you give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Are you not the God who is in heaven? Did you not drive out our enemies before us? You know, in any crisis, there is such a need for us to go back to God's track record. 
God's track record of unfailing faithfulness towards us in our past tutors our faith in Him. How many of you amen that? Yeah? Every time I'm going through a crisis, I need to be able to look back at God's track record in my life. And how many of you agree? God has always shown up for us in the past. And that should tutor our heart. When we go through the valleys of life, it's important for us to be able to recall the acts of God in the past and remind ourselves of what He has done. You know, it has become unfortunate, you know, when our faith is totally built on propositional truth. Rather than to have faith-building stories of transformation in our life. It's so sad when our faith is now totally built on just, this is what the Bible says. It's all propositional truth. When actually, it should be the encounters of our life that really make this truth real to us. Is that true? And that's, that's, that the, the narratives of what God has done in our lives can become a journal, you know, that we can return to in times of crisis that will cause our faith to rise. And that, for that reason, I believe that the Old Testament is so much of the Old Testament are recorded for us in narratives, right? In the form of stories, stories of creation, exodus, the miracles of God, etc. And you find in verse 7, Jehoshaphat was actually going back to all the narratives of what God has done. God, you have driven out our enemies before us in the past. And we are, we are reminding ourselves and allowing their faith to come up again. And not only did he go back to God's track record, he also went into God's promises. You notice that. Now listen to what he, say, he goes on to say. Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? That's in the past. And then he pivoted on this to go into the future. And then you give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. I think when we pray, there is no better way to pray than to recall what God has done and remember what He has promised. And the promises of God never fails. If He speaks, He will do. Are you not the God who is in control? Of course He is. Did you not show up for us in the past? Of course He did. And therefore, it leads to the last question, which is, will you not do it again? Will you not do it again? Are you not the God who is in control? Yes, He is. Did you not drive up? Did you not drive our enemies out before us in the past? Did you not show up for us in the past? Of course He did. And will you not do it again? What's the answer? Of course He will. Of course He will. You look at verse 12 now. He says, Oh, our God, will you not now judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. What is Jehoshaphat asking God for? He's actually saying this. Will you not rescue us again? You've done it before in the past. Will you not do it again? Will you not deliver us? Will you not fulfill your promise to us? What's the answer? Of course he will. You have promised us that you give this land to your people. Now these enemies are seeking to drive us out of our inheritance. Will you not deal with them? Of course he will. Why? Because this is the God that we serve. A God who always keeps His promises. A God who is a covenant-keeping God. He will rescue His people and He will always be our shield and our rampart. And that is why, you know, I love Psalms 121. 
And in Psalms 121, there's a beautiful verse that goes like this. He is your shade at your right hand. This is the God that we serve. He is our shade at our right hand. You know what that really means when you think about it? He is our shade. That word shade can also be translated as shadow. He is our shadow at our right hand. What does that mean? Every time you see shadow, what does it imply? It must be there. Lah. Can you imagine? You can see my shadow, but I'm not here. Oh, that'll be freaky, right? <laughs> when you see my shadow, what does it mean? It means I must be present, you see? And what is he talking about? He is our shadow at our right hand. It speaks about the presence of God. The presence of God is always with us. And not only that, that word shade can also be translated as shelter. He's our shadow. He's our shelter. He is our shield. You know, and to us, we can understand the shadow part quite well. But the shield part is a little bit harder because to the Jewish people, I think that makes a whole lot more sense. He is our shield at our right hand. Why is that so important? I'll tell you why. Because in ancient warfare, how do they fight? They all fight by carrying a shield and a sword, right? And how many of you agree? Most warriors are right-handed, right? So how would they fight? They will carry a shield in their left hand and they carry a sword in their right hand. And with their right hand, they swing and they attack. So tell me, where is the weakest part of the soldier? Where is the weakest side of the soldier? It's his right side. But guess what? At your weakest point, God is your shadow. He is your shield. At the point when you're weakest, God is there for you. He is the one who covers me when I'm helpless. He's the one who protects me when I'm in danger. He's the one who rescues me when I'm in trouble. This is the God we serve. And Jehoshaphat is asking, you know, God, will you not rescue us? Will you not save us? Will you not deliver us? What's the answer? Of course He will. Are you not? It's who our God is. Did you not? It's what our God has done. Will you not? It's what our God is going to do. Three rhetorical questions that has one common answer. Of course, He is. Of course, He has. Of course, He will. And brothers and sisters, this is what makes prayer meaningful. This is the kind of theology that our prayer must be based on. It is rooted in the theological anchor that we serve a God who is sovereign, who is loving, who is wise, and who is always there for us. A God who is for us, not against us. A God who loves us, cares for us, and shields us. And that's why we can put our faith in Him. And that's why we can trust Him. That's why we pray. Amen. You know, I, I thought about this, and it's when Jehoshaphat stood before the people and he prayed this awesome prayer, are you not? Did you not? Will you not? I can picture the people like every one of you here sitting, you know, standing in awesome awe because you know what he was doing? The king was calling the people nationally back to God. He was summoning their hearts back to God. And I think this is what prayer is all about. It's, a, it's about a heart that is being summoned back to God. A theology integrated with a heartfelt cry from the heart. So one thing I've learned about prayer is this, you know, prayer is not an art, it is simply a cry from the heart. That's what it is. We don't need to try and be religious about our prayer. 
You know, you don't need to have special language. Oh, Heavenly Father, we worship Thee. You don't need that. <laughs> I think we can just talk to God. It's conversing with God. We, we don't need to pray superficial, superstitious, shallow prayers. But prayers that are rooted in who God is, what God has done, and what He will continue to do. How many of you agree? That is a great prayer from a great king to a great God. And the next thing you know, God caused a mighty miracle to happen. Read the rest of the chapter and you discover that Jehoshaphat did not even need to fight because the Lord fought for him. The Lord actually created such confusion amongst the enemies. They started killing one another. By the time Jehoshaphat showed up at the battlefield, he saw nothing except dead bodies everywhere. He just had to pick up the loot. And you know what? The Lord granted him victory. Just like that. But here's the thing. Between the time, listen carefully, don't miss this. This is the whole point of the narrative. Between the time when Jehoshaphat prayed, stood before the people and prayed that awesome prayer, until the time he saw the victory, something happened in between that you must not miss. Because if you miss that, you miss the whole point of this story. What is it that happened in between? This is the prophetic burden you know, that is in between. The fundamental teaching point of the whole narrative. What happened was this. Between the time when that prayer was prayed until the time you see the victory, something happened, which is this. The Spirit of the Lord fell upon a psalmist by the name of um, Zahaziel. It will be hard to pronounce. Zahaziel. And Zahaziel was one of, the sons, um, one of the sons of the psalmist. And the Spirit of the Lord, the prophetic spirit, fell upon Zahaziel, and he began to stand up, and he began to prophesy. And out of his mouth came this prophetic word in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 14 and 15. And it goes like this. He stood up and he said, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And that's the key, brothers and sisters. The battle belongs to the Lord. If you don't believe that, then there is no point in praying. Are you with me? The battle is not ours. The battle belongs to the Lord. This is the secret, I think, to powerful prayer. And this is what the Holy Spirit is seeking to teach us this evening. Why do we pray? Isn't it because we truly believe that the battle is not ours, but the battle is the Lord's. Because if you don't believe that, if you believe the battle is yours, then you go fight your battle. Why bother to pray? If you believe that you can actually make things happen, you go do it. But why do we pray? It's simply because we absolutely believe that the battle does not belong to us, the battle belongs to the Lord. And when you realize that the battle belongs to the Lord, then the victory will belong to you. I think that's what it is. And that is why, brothers and sisters, we do not want to end up carrying burdens ourselves. We don't want to end up carrying burdens that are too big for us. Our shoulders actually are not wide enough to carry all the burdens of the ministry or the church or the nation or this world. My friends, honestly, we cannot do it. That's why we come honestly before God in simple faith and then we declare like Jehoshaphat in verse 12, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. 
Why? Because we believe the better does not belong to us. The better belongs to the Lord. How many of you believe that? Then you know what? God's going to fight on your behalf. That's why we pray. And I think this is the key to dynamic prayer. Our eyes are upon you. Not the circumstance, not the multitude, not the people, not even the leader, but our eyes is upon you. That's the key. You know, I, I, I remember this great story, you know. And when our eyes are upon him, then prayer need not be complicated anymore. It is simple. Because the battle belongs to him, I just tell him. See, I remember this great story that was told about a mom walking past the bedroom of a five-year-old daughter. And because the bedroom door was a little bit ajar, as she walked past, she looked in, and then she discovered her daughter was kneeling by the bedside praying, you know. I tell you, how many of you know, uh, if you are a mom, you'd be so proud, right? So she was so happy, you know, so excited, so proud. So she tiptoed inside and then tried to listen to what the daughter is praying. And then to a surprise, uh, as she listened in, she found her daughter, eyes closed, very intense, then reciting the alphabet, you know, to God. A, B, C, D, until everything, until Z, you know, and then Amen. Wow, she was so disappointed. So she, when everything was over, she asked her daughter, no, honey, what are you doing? And the daughter said, I'm praying. Then if you are praying, why are you reciting all your alphabet to God? And she said this, you know, she said, Mom, I got so many things to tell God, but I don't know how to put it together. So I figured that if I recite the entire alphabet to God, God will know how to put it together for me. <laughs> now, let me ask you, do you think that God heard her prayer? Absolutely. Now tell you why. Because she believed she believed that this is the God she served. And she believed the battle belongs to God. She absolutely believed that, you know, that she knows who her God is, what He has done, and what He will continue to do. Are you not? Did you not? Will you not? The moment we admit that we are helpless and powerless, God will step in. And then He will say to us, I tell you the truth, the battle belongs to me. So you just stand and see the salvation of your God. I think sometimes many of us carry burdens that are too big for our shoulders. Really. Some of us could be carrying family problems, some are health problems, some are relational problems, some are financial problems, some are work problems, ministry problems. Sometimes it's way too much to handle. I think it's time for us to come before our God and in surrender, we bring it to Him. The God who was, who is, and who is to come the God who is, who did, and who will. And then we cry out to Him, God, are you not the God who is in control of my situation? Because He is. Have you not showed up for me in the past? Because He did. And will you not do it again? Of course, He will. And the Lord will shout back into your ears, because. And this is what prayer is all about. Why don't we bring our burdens to Him, you know, this evening? And I think personally, God wants to minister to you. But can I take a moment, Pastor, if I can have your permission, just a few more minutes. I want to share a burden with you. And this is more for the church at large. This year is 2022. Some sectors of the church believe that this is the 50th year of the charismatic outpouring in Asia Pacific. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came to Asia-Pacific region around the early 1970s. And I think Pastor Chiu you, and Chiu, you remember those days. 
when the Holy Spirit was being poured out. And it was an amazing time. I was saved during that era and I lived through that revival. Many people trace the revival, not to some big gun celebrity preachers who come to town, but God stirring up the hearts of people all over nations and especially amongst young people to pray. You know, I come from Singapore and we were tracing the revival in Singapore. We traced it, you know where? To a small group of schoolboys in a school called Anglo-Chinese School, which is actually a Methodist school. There was simply a bunch of schoolboys. They were looking for a place to pray. Somehow they feel stirred to pray. So they finally found a, at the bottom of a staircase in the clock tower of the, of the school and they gathered there to pray. And as they were praying, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They started speaking in tongues and they didn't understand what was going on. You know, but the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They were totally mystified. They didn't understand what was happening. Why? Because they were Methodists, they didn't understand. So they went back to their classroom. They started sharing with the other students. And they also started asking for prayer. They prayed for them. They also ended up praying in tongues. People, demons began manifesting all over the place. And there was pandemonium that broke out in the school. Immediately, the Methodist leadership came in to stop the whole thing because the thing is mass hysteria and they stopped the whole thing. But these boys found refuge in the Assemblies of God missionary. There was running a bookstore in Singapore at that time. And he ended up taking them in and he taught them the things of the Spirit. And many of those boys today are Methodist pastors all over our city in Singapore. You know, it was the start of a move of God. And then it started spreading all over in different schools and the whole thing began to, to really become a move of God. And... I grew up during that season and we, as we were tracing that they, wanted, they interviewed me under sword and light so that I could tell the story and I had to recall everything and you know what? When I started recalling all these things one of the things that struck me was this I discovered, you know how easy it was to do ministry then It's like you can be a half good preacher You don't mean to be very good just half good you just get up there and you share from your heart, the altars will be filled with people. People just turn. People just cry out to God. Repentance, deliverance, everywhere, all over the place. It's like you put in one ounce of energy, you get three ounces of fruit back. Today, you can put three ounces of energy, don't get any fruit back. And I say, God, what has happened, you know? And something begins to stir in my heart. And the thing that is stirring within my heart is this, God, you have done it before. Come and do it again. I don't think it's just Singapore who needs it. I think Malaysia needs it too. We're saying, God, come and do it again. Please come and do it again. And my prayer is that we, we come to God. And, and please understand me, I'm not trying to tell us that we need to go and relive the old, old days because you cannot. We cannot go back to the past and try and do it the same thing again. No. But I believe that God has a new wine that He's want to pour out for our generation today. And my, my prayer is that the young people, you know, I, I grew up in that era and I've seen God move in amazing ways. But over the years, I've seen it doing that also. And I have to honestly tell you, my children, my children's children, they have never experienced it. They don't understand it. All I can say is, God, come and give them their own Pentecost. Come and do it again. Give our new generation their own Pentecost. Come and pour your spirit upon us one more time. Lord, you've done it before. You can do it again. Come do it again. 
but it begins with every one of us actually stirring up a hunger within our hearts and to say, God, we cannot do it without you. We need a fresh move of God. Let me end with this. There was a professor of revival who was teaching in Witten College many years ago. Professor James Orr. He was a student of revival. And because he was a student of revival, he took his graduating class one day to visit England. Went to a place called Epsworth, which is where the home of John Wesley is. You know, and he took his graduating class of student and toured the home of John Wesley. This was his study. This was where he sat to pray, etc., etc. Finally, he brought them to the highlight of the tour, which was John Wesley's bedroom. And he brought him to the side of the bed and showed them two indentations on the floor. The two indentations were made by the knees of John Wesley as he prayed there year after year, year after year, crying out to God to come and send revival to England. And he said, this is where John Wesley prayed. And they were all so moved. And then they finished the tour. They're going back to the bus. He counted all the students and discovered one of them was missing. And so they went back into the house and looked for that student. You know where he found him? He found him kneeling where John Wesley knelt. And the teacher went in, James all went in, and he heard this, this student praying this prayer. He was praying, Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. And the professor walked up to him, tapped him on the shoulder and said, Billy, it's time to go. And Billy Graham got up. And I tell you this, my friends, God heard his prayer and God did it again. He did it again. And in 1978, Billy Graham came to Singapore. I believe he came to Malaysia as well, somewhere along the way. I don't know, but he came to Singapore in 1978. It was the start of a move of God that hit our own nation. And I believe, you know, it's time for us to get back on our knees and we cry out to God one more time. God, do it again. Do it again. Amen. May God stir up our hearts today to have a hunger for revival. We can't do it without it. Without, I cannot imagine how this nation is going to turn to God without a fresh move of God. I can't see it. So let's cry out to God for it. Shall we stand to your feet with me, please? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I've sought in simplicity to share what God has put on my heart. And I believe God wants to stir up something within us. Stir up a fresh hunger in our heart for revival. That God, you come and you pour it out upon us. You know, some of us here, you could be going through your own personal crisis. Then we would love to pray for you. But corporately as a body, why don't we cry out to God and say, God, you've done it before. Come and do it again. Pour your spirit out upon us in a fresh way. And I want to open this place as an altar for you so that you can come. If God is stirring something within your heart and you say, God, begin with me. Pour your spirit upon me afresh. If you, are, you will need prayer and tonight you need prayer, you just come. And then together we're going to cry out to God. Are you not the God who is still in control? Yes, you are. Have you not showed up for us in the past? Yes, He has. Can you not do it again? Yes, He will. Amen. As the worship team lead us to pray, I want to open this place for you to come. Come and seek the Lord together. Father, I invite you to come. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes on you. You know, I sense in my spirit two things. Number one, I sense in my spirit that many of you need some kind of revival in your own personal life. Something in your spirit tells you that even in these 40 days, you want to draw close to God. God recognizes hunger, you know. God sees hunger. God is attracted to hunger. So I want to open the altar for any one of you who wants to go deeper with God. It's your personal desire. You want to go further with God. You want to come closer with God. But you don't know how. But this is somewhere in your spirit, man. You want to do it. You want to do it. No frills, no paraphernalia, no nothing. But you just want to do it. So I want to open the altar for you who have this inner, inward desire. And God recognized that. You take one step to God. I always say God take ten steps towards you. But you must take the one step. So the altar is open for you. For you. For you. The second group of people is for those of you who have issues in your house issues in your home in your families you are in a cul-de-sac you are in a dead end you don't know how to go what to do and you recognize yeah God I've been crying to you I've been praying to you but nothing seems to happen today God is going to give you a breakthrough it's family related okay I don't know why I'm not asking you for a business no it's family related something in your family is not right is not right but you cannot see the breakthrough you cannot see somehow the, the, the clear clarity today those of you with family issues one way or another you come you come because God is going to give you clarity God is going to give you a breakthrough hallelujah hallelujah come on let's sing this song let's sing this song I just send my spirit this group of people a personal desire to go further with God Hallelujah. God will bring you deeper, further than you've ever been before. Hallelujah. Come, let's sing this song. Deeper in love with you. Hallelujah. Deeper in love with you. Those with family issues, whatever it may be, with your children, with your parents, it could be a disease, it could be a healing, it could be your children has gone away from God. Whoa, those of you online as well. Those of you online. If it's any of these two things, you respond to God in your bedroom, in your living room. Nothing is impossible with God.
Lord, desire the Lord, friend. Desire the Lord. Goramanda Shanda. Is anyone even a balcony? You wanna come down? Please feel free to do so. And give us permission to minister to you and pray with you. Amen. To pray with you. To stand with you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Desire in my life, oh. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Whoa. With all my heart and soul, with all my strength and love, to worship and worship, worship the Lord, worship the Lord, honor the Lord, worship Him, worship Him, wherever you are. Worship Him, worship Him. God is in the house. Worship the Lord, honor Him, exalt His name. I love is before God, before we close. Will you do that as the music plays in the background? While ministry goes to the front, God is also with you wherever you are standing. As I always say, will you turn the place that you stand, that one square feet that you stand, will you turn that into a personal altar? Every one of you. Because we want you to be blessed. I want every one of you to be ministered to. There's no show here. There's nothing here. Understand? Whatever is happening in the front, there's a lot of transactions going on. But I want you to be blessed as well before you leave. Because you came here, understand? You came here by divine appointment. You didn't come here by accident. And because you came here by divine appointment, God is going to encounter you. I want you to encounter God. Will you do that? In the closing moments of this service, wherever you're standing, will you connect with God? Will you reach out to Him? Will you do that, friend? Will you do that, please? If you know issues, it's fine. But whatever it is, I may not have mentioned it, I may not have, but God knows. So in the closing moments of this evening, you want to close your eyes, close your eyes, understand? But connect with God. Connect with Him in the balcony down here. Whatever issues you may have, it could be work-related, it could be health issues, it could be career paths, it could be relationships, it could be your grandchildren, it could be your friend, I don't know what it is. Connect with God before I close, we do that. Every one of you, every one of you without exception, front to back left to right top to bottom 
I really believe that whatever issues that you have brought before the Lord, God will give you a victory. Did He not? Are you not? Will He not? Of course. Of course. He will. He will, my friend. He will. So let's all stretch our hands as we close. We'll do that. You're stretching our hands. It's, a, it's an act of yielding. It's an act of surrender, understand? Because if you stretch your hands, it reaches your heart. It is the heart of God to you. So Father, in Jesus' name, no matter what issues it is, whether it be on the floor, even on the stage, we know, God, that is nothing impossible, nothing too small, nothing too big, that you, the creator of all the universe, the Lord of the entire galaxy, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the giver of life, the source of all creation, there is nothing that you cannot do and you will not do. Because God, we cry out to you. We cry out to you from our heart right now. And we surrender and yield our hands to you. Believing, oh God, only you can do it. With man, it is not possible. We have reached the end of ourselves. We have looked here and there. And we could not find the answer. But all you need from us is a cry. All you need from us is a cry. Is a prayer. And we know and we know and we believe that you will answer. And so I believe, oh God, that you will see a breakthrough. Wherever you're standing, there will be an answer to your issue and the problem in the coming days. In the coming days. In the coming days. And when it comes, you know it is God. Oh, Father, we believe you, Lord. We trust you. We trust you, God. You're a good God. You are a good God. And you are a great God. And you are a gracious God. Thank you, Lord, for even this evening. Thank you. It's been a wonderful service. And we know that even as we go out from this place, the music may have stopped, the voice of the speaker may have ceased, but your spirit continues to work in our lives. Your spirit continues to work in our situation because, God, we come to you first and the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. We come to you first, Lord. We come to you first as, as we ask. We come to you today and we want to believe that even as we leave this place, you are going to work. You are already working behind the scenes. And in the coming days, we will see the breakthrough. We will see the answer. We will see the healing. We will see the restoration. We will see the return. We will see the breakthrough, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So thank you, Father Lord, for speaking once again. Thank you. So separate us now with your blessing. Bring us back safely home. Go back home. Bless your families. Go back home and bless your families. 
And so the Lord bless you and keep you this day. The Lord make His face always to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face, His wonderful face towards you and your loved ones, wherever they are. Some of them are not here, wherever they are. The Lord will also take care of them, understand? The Lord will also bless them. The Lord turn His face towards you and always grant you peace. Shalom. Amen. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Leave quietly while ministry continues at the front. Any one of you.